Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. Today's episode of the podcast is another in the White is Good, actually, series on the podcast, where I bring my friends Coach Jero and Mono White Border on to talk about all things Mono White, and a lot of interesting topics on why we believe that Mono White is actually underrated as a color uh, color in EDH and is not as bad as most of the community says it is. So, again, without further ado, I'd like to reintroduce Coach J-Row to the podcast. How's it going today? Oh, pretty well, thanks. How are you? Doing all right. So, unfortunately, again, we don't have Mono White Border on today. His schedule didn't quite work out, so it's going to just be the two of us today. Okay. All right. You say just, I say it's awesome. Anyways. <laughs> All right. So the topic of today's episode is actually a card from Strixhaven that I've had the ability to cast a couple of times in my own personal games. I know you have as well. And that card is Secret Rendezvous. Secret Rendezvous, for those who don't know, is an uncommon from Strixhaven. It's a sorcery for one white white and simply reads you and target opponent each draw three cards. Now, in the pre-show, we were talking about multiple ways we can look at this card, but I think we should start really with the face value on this. This is mono-white card draw. It says draw three cards on it. So, again, if we look at a lot of what mono-white does when it says draw a card, typically it's like a one-mana cantrip that may not necessarily be relevant. This gives you significant card draw in mono-white. So, again, when this was spoiled, this was definitely a... We'll just say there was kind of a furor over it in uh, in the MTG community, especially over on Twitter and whatnot on the socials, because this does seem to kind of break with what White does, I suppose, if you want to look at it that way. But I think we're here to argue today that this actually fits in perfectly with White's slice of the color pie because of the target opponent bit. So, uh, J-Row, what are your original thoughts on this card? I mean, my my thoughts is that I absolutely love this card. I have been able to utilize it a couple of times in my own games. It's a great political tool, and it also guarantees me three cards in a color that doesn't necessarily have a lot of draw a card on it. So, I want to know more about what you think about this card in the design space that it fits in, given our previous conversation. So, initial thoughts are that this is a draw three cards in white, which is not something the color usually gets to do. It's also drawing cards on an instant or sorcery, which is, again, not something it usually gets to do. Usually it's draws tied to permanence. Uh, so this is something where you're going to be able to draw the cards, and unless it gets countered, it's going to happen. It's not like somebody can wrath away your card draw engine. It's a nice way to get uh, to get cards drawn, to get you farther along in your deck, However, there's clear giving somebody else the same amount of cards, which means that it's really not an advantage over the course of the game because you're paying a card out of your hand to put three cards into your hand and someone else gets three cards into their hand. So if you're looking at it that way, you're down a card just in terms of raw card advantage from people who are used to playing constructed formats, especially 1v1 formats. Sure, so I I think we end up with the same problem we have with, uh, again, the first card that comes to mind for me is Vision Skeens, and that's a blue instant for one and a blue that does say all, or each player draws, what, two cards, I think? I think that's what that is. Yeah, the difference really with Vision Skeens is that it's for 
everyone. So, uh, so you draw two cards, pay a card out of your hand. So, you so draw two cards and discard a card is essentially neutral on the card advantage front. Uh, where, uh, but then you factor in everybody else is drawing two cards, which means you're really down seven up two, which is not very good if you're looking at it from a pure card draw perspective. If your deck is designed to do other things, then it might be a little bit different. For example, if you're playing Nekasar, you want everyone to draw. Oh yeah, definitely. So, some of these depend on, uh, what cards you're playing around it. You're playing Psychosis Crawler, for example. Mm -hmm. You want to be drawing cards you don't necessarily care about. Okay, so if we're looking at Secret Rendezvous just as a card advantage or a card velocity engine, I think it kind of checks the box off on that because, yes, while you are sort of two-for-one-ing yourself, it's not necessarily harming you either. Yes, one of your opponents is getting three cards, which is extremely powerful in our format, but you're also getting three cards, especially with a lot of other things that White does that are in this vein. I feel like a lot of times those sorts of trade-offs are actually far worse than what this card is uh, is putting you down because you're only giving one opponent three cards. And that's why I think this is a very successful card is because it has those political implications. Because unlike Vision Schemes, as you just mentioned, you're basically out one card to give yourself three cards and an opponent who had to pay no resources into it three cards. But unlike vision schemes, where you're giving everyone some sort of advantage or velocity without having to do anything, you actually get to dictate the terms of how this card resolves. So in a way, it gives you, I guess, a bit of extra advantage in the fact that you get to pick your opponent to draw the cards. And that's where the political bit gets in here. And I, I just wanted to, to hear more of your thoughts on how this can be used as an effective political tool. Okay. Uh Typically speaking, in terms of how I play politics in uh, in Commander, I don't like playing politics that much. At least not obvious politics, where it's something where it's going to be several turns from now before any benefit comes. If I'm going to do something like that and use it as a political tool, it might be something like, I have a piece I need to protect. And so I'll say, okay, if you do this, then this will, then this is going to happen, and do a tit for a tat like that. Uh, <clears throat> generally speaking, I'll use it to benefit whoever I feel is in the worst position, because I, I think I think of group hug type effects or beneficial effects like this, ones that can be used to equalize the game so that it's more entertaining rather than have one person dominate, because those types of games aren't usually as fun. I mean, if it's me, I'll pick whoever is closest to me, I guess, with that. I am a Spellslinger player, and so I enjoy di different ways to reuse effects like this. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll, I'll do something like uh, copy it. Um, so, like, in my... I have a fork effects in my Lorehold flashback deck, right? I might do that. Um, I might use... Pa I may uh, cast it with Pass on Flames or Mizzix's whatever... Uh, so Mizzix's mastery overloaded, but if I'm to that point, I'll probably it probably doesn't matter too much who I pick. That's where one of the things I was saying before we started was uh, if you are a deck that needs certain pieces to go off. So if you're a combo deck or you just have high synergy between several different pieces, 
it's probably best to not target the blue player, or at least target a non-blue player because they won't be able to counter your stuff. And there are enough free counters where you can't necessarily trust that just because they don't have mana up doesn't necessarily mean your stuff's going to resolve. Sure, sure. And you, you're probably not wanting to give them additional cards at all, it, unless you're going after something else, like trying to protect your board and using politics as a way to make sure that they try not to counter your stuff, if that works. <laughs> yeah. Seems a tricky balance on there. So I will use a specific example from my play group right now. Where, again, I know I've talked about my meta a lot over the course of this show, and we are an extremely swingy group. We have a lot of momentum swings in our games because we play a lot of just grind, grinding games. Our games typically go an hour to an hour and a half, sometimes up to two hours because we like swinging at each other, but we also play defensively sometimes, so it's kind of like a siege sometimes. So when I cast Secret Rendezvous, we had already basically picked someone out who was ahead and we were trying to bring them down before obviously then resetting the board as we usually do. And Secret Rendezvous allowed me to choose one of my opponents who I needed to support what I was doing to make sure that we could try to reset things better. So I was able to offer them three cards while I needed to draw three cards. Well, I'm, I'm playing my, my Lorehold deck, which... Again, if y'all haven't heard, I really love Boros, and I found a way to make my Lorehold deck, uh, unlike J-Rose, into pretty much Boros artifact combat. So again, just something interesting about how we look at the same deck in two different ways. But I, obviously, we I do suffer from a lack of consistent card draw in that deck, we'll say. So Secret Rendezvous allowed me to get three cards early on that I otherwise probably wouldn't have had access to, and an opponent who was in theory going to help me out, try to take down the, technically the king of the hill at that point in the game, was also going to get three cards. Now, that same opponent later on, uh, you know, talking about politics and how flaky it can be sometimes, same opponent later on played their secret rendezvous out of their Silver Quail pre-con that they were playing, and they did not choose me as the uh, target opponent there, so I, I guess that's kind of how things go if we wanted to, you know, do tit-for-tat on that, but... Again, to be fair, I was kind of becoming more of a threat at that point, and I, I don't think they wanted to give me three free cards for, for nothing. But yeah, it's that right there, I think, really solidified why I can't stop raving about this card, is that it's just it's good in all situations, especially for how I play personally. Because I really enjoy the politics of EDH. It's one of the things that I think really sets this format apart from the competitive formats because you do have an opportunity to talk to your opponents, try to maybe change some of their decision-making, and the fact that they can draw three cards immediately without needing any sort of uh, strings attached, no Nekisar crazy stuff, just three cards straight up is not a bad deal at all. And if, and if you're getting three cards out of it, in theory, yes, you're getting kind of hamstrung into maybe a deal you don't necessarily want. But again, in my meta, typically those three cards is because someone is expecting that you're going to try to do something to help them out. So in a way, the opportunity cost that you are paying by giving someone else three cards, I feel is far less than how you look at it, Jero, if, if I'm reading this right. I look at it mostly as uh, card velocity. So a way to get farther into your deck. 
um, as well as a way to potentially get some virtual advantage by leveraging the card draw with another player for some sort of tangible advantage or protection later. Because again, if you can get this out, especially in like turn three, even well, all of a sudden you've put your kind of put your foot into the into the pool there, so to speak, is that you're saying, hey, I'm going to give you three cards. I'm I'm consciously choosing you to get three cards. You owe me that in, in our format definitely holds some weight on there, especially after I've had uh, certain or specific experiences with Humble Defector in the same kind of vein. Well, I think a way that it's kind of better than Humble Defector is because it happens once and they get the cards then. They don't get to necessarily control it. You're talking about doing it early in the game. Unless they have a particularly explosive turn, they're going to have to discard some stuff. And so it really didn't help them that much. That's true. That's true. And again, since it's a sorcery, there are ways that you can get it back out of your graveyard. Again, it's not as easy to recur a sorcery as it is a creature, let's be honest here. But again, with some of the cards you did bring up earlier, like Past in Flames, you can definitely get this out or do any sort of fork effects, copy it, whatnot, and all of a sudden you're gaining major card advantage off of this card velocity, whatnot. And just the fact that you're only giving one opponent that extra card or those extra cards really makes this a major difference. So I, I wanted to kind of pivot here a little bit regarding Secret Rendezvous. So we both saw, and we talked about this in the pre-show uh, earlier before we started recording the podcast yesterday, so the day before we were recording this podcast, um, we both saw on Twitter, I believe, that there was a, an opinion saying that Secret Rendezvous in a lot of cases could be better than a wheel effect. And obviously wheel effects, we're looking at things like Wheel of Fortune, where everyone or even one person discards their hand, draws up to a new amount, Windfall, Wheel of Fortune... Um, just, you know, all those kinds of effects where you're replacing everyone's hands with new cards. And I wanted to hear your thoughts again on this one, Jero. Where do you fall on the spectrum of that uh, question? Do you think Secret Rendezvous in, in a vacuum is better than a wheel? Or it, do you think that that's maybe a bit of an overblown take? I'm just curious. In a, in a vacuum, to get advantage on a wheel, you need to have fewer cards in hand than your opponent's. Because they, everybody's discarding a certain amount, everybody's drawing the same amount, which means that you need the cards that they are discarding to significantly exceed the amount of cards that you are discarding. If you are discarding, say, two cards, and they are each discarding, uh, let's say, five, six, seven cards, something like that, okay. so averaging about six cards you are gaining four cards per opponent while the draw seven is neutral, which puts you up 12 cards, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. It can potentially put you up on card advantage like that. However, if it's each opponent gaining seven cards, you gain your plus six, but minus 14, because two players got seven cards that they didn't deserve necessarily. You balance out with one opponent, there's still two other opponents, which means that you are at a net of losing, losing, I believe, eight cards, which is not a good position to be in. So casting a wheel is card velocity, but not advantage. Mm -hmm. It's awesome if there's something that you need to be somewhere. If you need to get a card into your grave from your hand, if you need to dig for a piece, awesome. 
wheels are not card advantage. The same is true of the uh, so, uh, other card that we're talking about because uh, it, so Secret Rendezvous, is never actually going to gain you cards except with virtual cards. But it's also never going to hurt you the way that a wheel effect can. Because wheel effects are always going to be loss of advantage and it can be really huge loss of advantage. It, it could easily be 10 or more. If you uh, if you had the same or similar cards in hand, mm-hmm. and I the way I look at this with uh, like with the discard effect is something comparable, I suppose, to a wheel that would just affect you. I always consider something like Fateful Showdown, which is a mono red card, which allows you to discard your hand then draw up to that many cards, maybe plus one. I, I think I might be blanking on the details, which ends up being a personal wheel but you still end up with that opportunity cost of you have to want to, one, chuck your hand, which means that in theory, if you are in mono-red, let's say, you may not have a way to be able to get those cards back onto the battlefield very easily. So you you kind of end up, you know, doing the red thing. You're kind of impulsively throwing your hand away to then draw a whole bunch of cards and hope you got something better. But then you also have to have a pretty full hand, to be able to really get any sort of advantage out of that. Because, again, you're drawing the same amount of cards that you had to begin with. Again, maybe plus one, maybe not. And so if you only have two cards in hand, well, all of a sudden you're throwing, you're getting, what, maybe two, three cards back. Well, all of a sudden, if you have access to white, or if you're playing Boros or Lorehold or whatever, Secret Rendezvous all of a sudden just guarantees you for actually less mana to get those three cards without having to throw any of the rest of your hand away. Yes, you do have to give an opponent three cards, but you don't have to ditch any of your existing resources to dig. And I think that's, again, I I keep bringing up these cards in other colors because I feel like they have very similar effects. But I still think that Secret Rendezvous is just better in a lot of ways because it's consistent. Uh, especially red card draw. The issue I have with that is, again, you really need to have a lot of cards in hand for you know the discard effect to, to really be good to dig further into your deck with something like that. Now, wheel effect, again, it's not going to matter, but you're also giving your opponent's cards. But Secret Rendezvous doesn't care about that. You're able to dig through your deck three cards down for three mana, and you don't have to worry about discarding anything. I think it just gives you that velocity that you need without a loss of tempo. Yeah, and the differences of velocity selection and uh, <clears throat> actual advantage are very different in terms of what your deck's trying to do. Um, for a deck that is tr- um, that is trying to get things into your graveyard, uh, it's not necessarily as good as, say, a wheel because the it won't put stuff there unless you're drawing such that you are over uh, seven cards in hand. Sure. Uh, that's really the only way that it would lead to a discard where you might have some choice. Even something like Faithless Looting would be better, but that's into red. Uh, I will say one of the aspects of this card we haven't touched on yet is how it works with other cards. Mm. Uh, because this is drawing cards... There are plenty of effects that are in white and I'm now leaking into blue a little bit that affect opponents drawing cards. For example, when we're evaluating uh, the power of Secret Rendezvous, how about if you happen to have Smothering Tithe out? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. 
So now it becomes draw three cards, give an opponent three cards, make three treasure. Does that affect how you evaluate the card? I mean, yeah. If if we're looking at this card that's not in a vacuum, yes. If you have Smothering tied out in Secret Rendezvous, you're effectively saying, I'm going to give you three cards, but you're going to give me something in return unless you pay. And even if they do pay for Smothering Tithe, you've already forced them to go down on mana, so you end up ahead considerably if you have those two cards out. Another card just within white is uh, Alms Collector. Mm-hmm. If an opponent would draw two or more cards, instead you and that player each draw a card. So now it becomes draw four, you draw one. There's so a few you're... different ways to shift how that works. Um, <clears throat> you can play things if you're getting into blue, like Shared Fate. If a player would draw a card, that player removes the top card of the library face down. Yeah, that's not quite as that's not quite what I was thinking about Hall Breacher, Plagiarize. So different ways to steal the draws that you're giving someone else. Notion Thief, if you're into Asper. Yeah, in in other colors. Obviously, we kind of end up leaving mono white for a lot of these things. But again, Secret Rendezvous is not... Like, like what we're trying to say is that it's not a bad card even in multicolored builds. You don't necessarily have to be playing mono white for this card to be good. You can find pairings with other color combinations, including white, where this card can still be extremely good because of those political implications, but also Mm -hmm. just because you're forcing your opponents to draw cards. Well, if you're, again, if you're trying to do some sort of wheels deck, this could even work too. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, that can work. If you're staying within mono white, you have Alms Collector and you have the and you have Smothering Tithe, which are already, Alms Collector isn't quite as popular as Smothering Tithe, but Smothering Tithe is definitely pretty ubiquitous in white right now. Even something like Mangura, the Diplomat, where that's becoming ubiquitous because opponents casting a second spell draws you a card. How do you get them to play more spells? Give them more cards. Mm-hmm. Or put them back in their hand, and I'm certainly an expert of that. Yep. <laughs> Plenty of artifacts where you can do something like, uh, okay, I'm going to make you draw three cards, and then at the end phase of the turn before you, I'm going to bounce one of your creatures. And so you have an overflow of things in your hand. You might have to discard. And in order to avoid discarding, you're going to have to cast multiple things out of your hand. If you do, you're just going to draw me more cards. That's kind of the vice that I put on opponents in my Ravos and Ishai deck, which is I'm going to give you more cards, I'm going to bounce your things to protect them, but you still have to recast them, and if you're going to try to empty your hand, then you wind up pumping Ishai, and I can smash face with that. But even just within white, Alms Collector... <clears throat> uh, so building a core of Alms Collector, Smothering Tithe, and Magra the Diplomat, which are already fairly popular cards, and then jamming in <clears throat> this new one just makes it even better. Uh, Mind's Eye is another one that's fairly common mm-hmm. in white, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to join you on those draws. Pay a little bit extra, but it's not really paying that much extra if you have a Smothering Tithe out to get the tokens. Or even if, yeah, if you have Mind's Eye and you play Secret Rendezvous, draw, pay six, draw six is not a bad deal at all. Yeah, so so I, I think what we're really trying to say here is that Secret Rendezvous doesn't necessarily have to be in a vacuum just to say draw three cards, opponent draws three cards. We, what we're trying to get at here is that there are so many combinations you can put it together with that'll give you even more advantage. And I think that's really what a lot of people sleep on with this card 
is the fact there's a lot of synergy with pieces like Smothering Tithe, with Mongar the Diplomat, with Mind's Eye. There, and I'm sure there's a whole lot more silly things you can really do with this card uh, if you really sat down with your collections, just kind of went through your chaff pile. I, I guarantee you there are interactions that we can't even think of right here, right now while we're recording to, to talk about, but they're definitely out there. The ability to give yourself cards and your opponent's cards um, whether politically or whether for your own gain, as with Smothering Tithe, is never to be underestimated. I think that this card, uh, you know, if, if it hasn't already been considered very strong, I think it really should be. This this card is great. It just has, it checks off all the boxes you want from white card draw. It checks off the political bits for me. Uh, for you, j it definitely works with a lot of other cards, kind of that combo synergy concept that you've you've definitely developed in your years of playing competitively and i think it's just a really solid card at a very good mana cost if you're playing in white or, or in boros again it gives you a very solid option that's also very flexible and that's not something we've usually seen from a lot of white card draw again i think i remember things like heal or something where it, it's a cantrip it gives you a card but the effect is not that great it, it, it saves you from one damage well, Secret Rendezvous for a couple more gives you two cards additional and, you know, gives you an effect that if you build around it can be quite uh, quite terrifying. To me, it does not check the card advantage box, which is a key okay. one in terms of uh, trying to develop. Um, it's one that you, That's one that you have to work a little bit harder at in order to get it to, to fit. But it is definitely uh, a way to see more cards and to have more cardboard in your hand. Sure, sure. So, uh, again, before we end the episode today, I just wanted to ask a quick question about... Um, we did go over this a couple episodes ago when we had Mono White Border on with us as well, and we were talking about the direction that Mono White is going as a color. And I know we were talking about a little bit about Secret Rendezvous because we had heard it in Mark Rosewater's Tumblr post that there was going to be a draw three card in white. We didn't quite know at the time what it was going to be. Now we know what it is. And I'm just wanting to, to hear your opinion on where effects like this that are, again, somewhat unilateral uh, between players, where that might fit in and open up new design space for white, given the fact that white is not really a color of taking resources or giving you a, a one-off effect just for your benefit. Typically, It'll require other people to to interact with you. Again, whether this is a Mangara or whether this is the new monologue tax or our Kaomancer's map for the ramp bits, whatever. Do you think that this is good design space for White to go into really leaning heavily into politics? Um, I actually wish that White had gotten what Witherbloom got in terms of benefiting off of the life gain because that would make it seem like what they had been working at over the last few years in terms of making life gain white's identity, but it meant something instead of just giving it to green-black. But I do like the idea that white is the cooperative color. And it does, it, it fits more along the lines of, if we're going to what we did last week, how I view white in terms of its flavor. Mm-hmm where the creatures are not necessarily as big as they could be. Uh, they, uh, so the creatures aren't necessarily the biggest creatures out there, because that's not their identity. <clears throat> the abilities 
are not necessarily offensive or defensive, but they are definitively about combat. <clears throat> so that they're able to switch easily between the two modes. The pieces work together better than they would on their own. Uh, so, like, the 1-1 flyer isn't necessarily great against a 2-2 flyer, because blue should be better at that, but the tapper means that your 1-1's getting through where the 2-2 isn't. Little things like that, and so I like how this represents white as the as the color of cooperativeness. I think that's a positive identity for the color. Yeah, for sure, and we're seeing a lot more of these kinds of effects. I mean, obviously in Strixhaven, Silver Quill had a lot of these political abilities in the C21 release, but also some cards within the set had some abilities to that to that end as well, like uh, Shadrick Silver Quill, for instance where you do have to choose at least one mode that helps one of your opponents in some way. And we are seeing a lot more of these effects, and I, I think it's an interesting bit of design space for white personally, is that it's not going to break the game like other colors didn't necessarily have access to, but it's something that is uniquely white in, in, in scope, is that, again, white is the color of cooperation, it is the color of balance, but it's also the color of... Uh, trying to utilize a lot of pieces to then gain great advantages and make large swings. So just the, the ability to be able to utilize a card like this to be able to maybe make a deal with an opponent while also gaining some advantage, at least some velocity, I suppose, uh, is not to be underestimated as far as mono-white is concerned. Once we start adding other colors, maybe it's not as good, but if we're looking specifically at mono-white... I think this is definitely a good card that uh, should be seeing more play going forward. And so for the listeners right now, I'm looking at TCG Player. It costs 11 cents to pick this up for yourself. So whether you are buying online or whether you can hopefully get to your local game store in the near future, again, I'm going to give a shout out to Guardian Games. You can find them on G at ggportland.com on the internet. Definitely make sure to pick up a couple copies of this card because I think this could really go somewhere. This this card excites me, I can't stop raving about it, and I can't wait to play it again. It's just, it's really fun with all the implications and everything we've talked about to, to use this card. It's, it's a great card. Play it. All right. It's really uh, similar to what Brina does as well, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, letting players draw cards for attacking each other. And again, that was, a, that was the face commander of the Strixhaven commander deck. Uh, was it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Brina Demigo, yeah. And, I, I, yeah, so so having seen that deck in action now, it it provides new headspace for white being that cooperative color. And mm -hmm. it gives everyone incremental advantages by then directing everyone's punchiness in combat at each other. So in a way, you're kind of bribing your opponents, and that's really where I like the political aspects of this card. And, and just everything that they're doing with white in this vein is is you are you're you're kind of ghostly prisoning, but you're not doing it in the same way. You're you're kind of indirectly forcing your opponents to make different choices into not attacking you. So I, I suppose that it's by using the sorceries, by using this on creatures, it's it's not as obvious that you're you're doing this to them versus just saying I'm I'm just gonna drop this ghostly prison or sphere of safety or something. You can't attack me unless you get rid of this. Well, that, that is something that your opponents may not really enjoy, something they can blow up, 
But if you throw out Briner, you throw out Secret Rendezvous, well, you can kind of deflect some of the the ire of other players away from you if you're willing to give them something, and then they'll attack someone else who's potentially more of a threat, and you can kind of just go under the radar. That That's one of those things that I, I think this card is, is underrated for. So, uh, Jero, any final thoughts on this card or where we're going with Mono White in the future in this van? Well, I did pick up, I believe, at least four copies of it because I like getting commons and uncommons if I'm going to speculate. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like speculating on rares or mythic rares because those, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not going to play those as often. If I like commons and uncommons, that's the, my way of saying I like the set. I like how things are designed. So I got at least four of them. And I've, I've put a few of them into decks already. I, I've liked how it's turned out. Uh, a lot of my decks aren't necessarily solitaire decks, but are looking for specific pieces. And so it helps me find them. And occasionally it helps opponents too. Mm-hmm. Political implications galore. And that's what I just love about this card. All right. So we're going to wrap up the episode for today. Thank you again for being on here. It's been great having you. Where can people find you on the internet again? Right, so I am on Twitter at Coach underscore J underscore R-O. Currently almost to 1,000 followers on there, under uh, less than 20 away. Mm -hmm. When I do get to 1,000, I'm going to do a giveaway. Uh, details of that will come out once I pass that. Once, once I pass that. Um, you can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash unsummoned skull. And in my Discord community at the uh, the Skull Symbol. Mm -hmm. And if anyone is interested in getting access to Skull Symbol, they DM you on Twitter, or is there a better place? Um, yeah, best place would be to DM on Twitter, because I don't like putting the, uh, the link out in the general. Sometimes people will use that who are not... Um, we don't have the best intentions. <laughs> Understood. That seems to be a problem that a lot of Discord server owners have been dealing with over the last couple of years and is definitely something, but definitely something that you have to look out for. But yeah, I, I can definitely sh uh, give a shout out for J-Row here on this one. He's cultivated a great community over the Skull Symbol. So if you want to meet some great people, play some good games, definitely check it out and DM him and let him know you're interested. I also have now posted the first episode of, Quote of uh, my uh, Quote of Arms uh, podcast. And where can you find that? Uh, so that's on Anchor and, and Spotify and a number of different places as well. Uh, it is the Quote of Arms podcast. Quote like somebody said something and you are quoting what they said. Yep, yep, yep. And speaking of podcasts, you can find the back catalog of the White is Good Actually series, as well as the entire back catalog of the MTG and Quarantine podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, MTGcast.com and many, many other podcast outlets. You can also find me on Twitter at at MTG in quarantine. All right, Jero, I want to thank you again for being on today's show. And my again, you've been listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.